Funk Radio is brought to you by Overmental.com, the media culture hive mind. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Funk Radio. Yay! Yay! Yay for Funk Radio. Yay. Tonight, we'd like to tell you a little bit about the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's actually true. We're not joking. Well, sort of. We kind of are joking. but Kind of. Sort of. This is your host, Peter, by the way. And this is your host, Lazarus. No, my name's Kyle. Hmm. Didn't Lazarus, wasn't Lazarus that guy that was raised from the dead? Yeah, he was. Good for him. This is your host, Judas. <laughs> oh, terrible. So as Kyle is sort of mentioning, the topic we want to talk about in this episode is, because uh, obviously there's a whole genre of gospel music that we've briefly mentioned probably a handful of times in context of other things. Um we're not going to be talking about gospel music per se tonight. We're more of trying to pinpoint songs that have pretty strong like religious or biblical themes within them, but they're not like uh they're not technically gospel songs and you could in some cases you could even argue that that's not what the song is about. But in the ones we've been looking at, at least in many of the ones we're looking at, it's pretty obvious that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kyle, I think you were finding some more that were a little bit yeah, more obvious. Yeah, I, uh, I stumbled upon a couple that were, one was like super obvious and one I thought was obvious, but I was completely wrong. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we want to cover those first. I guess I could start off with one. Okay. Um, the first song that I stumbled upon that I totally had no idea was about Jesus was Donna Summer's I Believe in Jesus. I thought it was Jesus. <laughs> so she wrote this song in 1982. Um, and for those of you that know your musical timelines, by that point, disco had been dead for about two years. That's true. So basically, for those of you that don't know, Donna Summer was like the queen of disco, basically. And prior to this song... A lot of her um, her prior hits in the 70s were a lot more scandalous and sexually charged. So yeah, that's true. when this song came out, it was kind of an early prophesization. Wow, I just made up a word. Prophesis, pro- Prophecy? What's the, thank you. I know words. <laughs> it was like an early prophecy to her conversion to Christianity. Interesting. Um, now, the fun backstory behind this. Uh, obviously, as I had said, Summer uh, made her name in the la- in the prior decade, in the 70s, as one of the biggest disco artists ever, mm-hmm. and she was with um, this studio called Casablanca Records. During this period, however, she kind of felt that the label exploited her and forced her pot- to, uh, to portray a more sexually oriented image mm. with songs like The First Lady of Love. And she never really was super comfortable with that, but, you know, people got to eat. So mm-hmm. the label had, in doing, in creating this sort of persona around her, 
kind of taken over other elements of her personal life to the point that she kind of felt like she really had no control over her life or career. So Mm -hmm. this caused her to become really depressed. And eventually, coming out of this depression, she found the Christian faith and through this decided to make a decision decided to make a decision decided (laughs) to decided to decide to make a decision that decided her fate Hmm. i sound like a news anchor (laughs) um she decided to break away from casablanca records and ended up actually filing a lawsuit against them and Hmm. while the lawsuit itself was settled out of court um she broke off from them and became the first artist to be signed to the newly established Geffen Records, Hmm. which is also very famous in its own right. And through them, was able to control more of her own persona and started doing more proper gospel-y type music and not so much, you know, sexy disco. (laughs) Interesting. So it was more, she started actually doing more like uh, traditional gospel type music then? Yeah. Not super overtly, but it was definitely a lot more faith and gospel influence than her prior stuff. Interesting. I never knew that. And fun fact, um, the first album that she did with Geffen Geffen Records, as well as subsequent albums, Hmm. was produced by Giorgio Moroder, who I believe we talked about um, because of his his collaboration with Daft Punk. Right. And obviously, the reason they collaborated with him, he's like insanely famous as like the godfather of electronica because he produced a lot of these sort of electronic influenced artists in the 80s Mm. through like the new 80s dance craze you know like people like donna summer actually yeah because i was just um because i know he was behind at least a couple of donna summer songs i know like i feel love was a big one that he was behind Mm -hmm. uh, musically i'm trying to think of some others from that time i know he did a few so i guess i guess this wasn't their first time collaborating then yeah, I'm totally spacing, but she has, like, a super famous one. Let me look. Hot Stuff. Oh, was he on that one, too? Yeah. Hot Stuff, Last Dance, Bad Girls, She Works Hard for the Money. Yeah, she really had, like, a big revival in the 80s. Hmm. Well, that's cool. So, good for her. Yeah, I, n- so, I yeah. never knew that she, like, went the gospel-y Christian direction after all that. It's kind of interesting. Apparently, apparently so. Um, so yeah, that's the song that I totally didn't know is about Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Should we listen to a little clip? Sure. That was a clip of I Believe in Jesus by Donna Summer. So this was under Geffen Records, correct? I, yes. I assume so, according to everything you were just telling us. Yes. About, yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Good for Donna Summer. Yeah. Believing in in the Jesus. Which was the one, because I don't know if it's her, and I might be confusing her with someone else. Who was the artist that we talked about that ended up becoming like a like a medium or whatever? Was that her? No, no I think that was... Wasn't that Patti LeBeau? No, 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 no. Well, it was either her no. or is Dionne Warwick, but... Dionne Warwick, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> I For some reason, don't ask me why, maybe because they're part of the same era, I always get Di- Dionne Warwick and Donna Summer confused. Mm-hmm. Probably because they will start with D. Those, those D names. Speaking of names that start with D, what do we have up next, Peter? That's a pretty good tie-in, actually. Well, for our, sh- for our show... 
um that was a, yeah. that was pretty bad in general but it was good for the show considering what we usually do considering our normal standards for tie-ins yeah yes. our bar is pretty low <laughs> <laughs> one song that i kind of immediately thought of with this topic of songs that are kind of about jesus but not really that obvious about it um is the song watching over by denise williams also a d name <laughs> funny enough i actually almost added this one to this the episode we did about stalking or songs about stalking um, <laughs> stalking you watching you watching over you from heaven what's the difference <laughs> <laughs> so denise williams is starting in the night in 1970 or so um she was primarily like a sold r&b singer um i don't know i don't think she was really any part of any real groups or bands i think she was always just kind of a solo artist as far as i know yeah i think you're right um but so for the first 10 years or so of her of her musical career she was doing mainly just regular soul and r&b because she i guess like from a personal standpoint she was pretty pretty religious so she would add in like one like pseudo-religious inspirational song into each of her secular albums um, for that first decade or so. And then in 1980, there was kind of a turning point because I guess she and three other singers um, performed um, a gospel show at a popular Los Angeles club um, called The Roxy. And the show was called Jesus at The Roxy. So <laughs> that's a pretty cool name. Um, but I guess she later said that, quote, God did something miraculous. Over 300 people were saved. Um, so after that, she actually, after that show, I guess it kind of inspired her to be like, okay, this is something that's really important to me. So I'm going to dedicate the rest of my musical career to actually doing like gospel Christian music. Um, so that show, I guess, was kind of a turning point for her. Um, interestingly enough, I said she did that show with three other singers. One of them was actually um, Philip Bailey, who was one of the original members of Earth, Wind and Fire, who, if you don't know, they are like one of the most popular funk disco bands of all time. So look them up. Um, and just like her, he actually, the show actually also led him to change his career into gospel music as well. And I was just looking him up really quick and something not too related to this, um, that Philip Bailey, he's not only both in the rock and roll hall of fame and the vocal group hall of fame as a member of earth, wind and fire, but he's also in the songwriters hall of fame since he wrote most of their songs. So he, yeah. he's actually in three different halls of fame, which that's got, that's gotta be a record of some Seriously. kind um i'm sure there's other That'd people be, in multiple but that would be curious to look up like like musical artists that are in multiple halls of fame yeah because to me that's like super impressive it doesn't get much better than that i want to say elvis is in the gospel and obviously rock and roll hall of fame but i'm gonna be wrong mm. but he's i elvis, can believe so that cares. <laughs> we, we've never talked about elvis on the show because he's shit sorry i hate elvis because he's like a white guy who popularized who stole black stole music. black people's music. <laughs> didn't we just have an episode about that a couple back? Yes, we did. <laughs> I don't. I didn't. I don't even think I brought him up then. No, I don't think we did. That's funny. That's a shame. Well, if you want, <laughs> go back a few episodes if you want to hear more about white people who stole black people music. <laughs> um, Speaking of which, yeah, this has nothing to do with that, but it's a really good movie, so I'm gonna sling it. Um, <laughs> There's a funny indie movie called Dear Black People about this oh. girl who goes to like a really preppy, fairly white private college, starts a radio show on that college, in that college to kind of 
open up about race relations and stuff, but because she's a funny person, she is obviously mocking the, like, complete racial sheltering of these, like, very rich white kids. Yeah. And it causes, you know, all this tension and blah, blah, blah. But it's a really funny movie, and it just kind of totally hits the nail on the head with some, like, really obvious, like, you know, stuff like white guilt and mm-hmm. just it's all these complete misconceptions that, you know, even, you know, white people that consider themselves liberal have about minority groups. It's just a really funny movie, and mm. you guys should check it out. It looked good, actually. I wanted to see it. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you know that was directed by a Chapman alum, by the way? No! Yeah, that's how I heard about it, actually. For those of you who don't know, um, the person who directed that movie like... went to the same film school as Kyle and I did, so... I'm going to look this up really quick um, so I can plug their name. Oh, okay. But yeah, it looked really good. I wanted to see it. Dear Black People. Directed by Justin No, wait, isn't it Dear White People? Sim- what did I say? Dear Black People? No, Dear Black People was the skit by Whitest Kids You Know, where the little kid the- is writing, writing to the his black name. Oh, my bad. Oh, yeah, he was Justin <laughs> Simeon, American film director and writer. He's, he, his first feature film, Dear White People, won the U.S. Democratic's... Well, I can't talk... The U.S. Dramatic oh. Special Jury Award for Breakthrough Talent in the 2014 Sundance Film Festival. Nice. Oh, wow. After graduation from Texas High School for the Performing and Visual Arts, he graduated there, from there and studied film at Chapman University in California. There you go. Yay. My school produced good directors, besides for that guy who did Fourth Kind, which was awful. <laughs> for the longest time, that was the only movie... That ever that came out old... of, like, an alum from our school, and, like, it was a really bad movie. Oh, my God. It and we were all, like, eyes hurt. Oh, shame. Anyway, so I'm actually going to get back to the song. Yeah, yeah, my bad. But thank you for the, the movie plug. It's all good. Good. Um, so the song Watching Over by Denise Williams. Um, this is from, I believe, her first album, actually, um, called This Is Nisi. I don't remember what year that was. It might have been 1970 or so. Like I said before, this isn't an obvious like, hey, Jesus loves you sort of song. I mean, this is it's really vague. But if like you read into the lyrics, like you can totally see that, especially knowing that she was really religious and eventually went into gospel. Um, mm-hmm. I think we can pretty easily say that this was about Jesus. Um, <laughs> just a few clips of quotes uh, from the lyrics. Um Somebody's watching, somebody cares, somebody loves you, can't you feel it in the air? Somebody's watching this human race. Those of you who don't understand, I'll make it clear, you are part of the master's plans, that's why you're here. Uh, Basically stuff like that is what you get from this song. And, you know, if you're not really paying attention, it's not going to come across at all as a gospel song or as a religious song, but if you're you're paying close attention to the lyrics, it's like, oh, okay, that actually kind of makes sense. Okay, I guess we should go ahead and listen to a clip of watching over by Denise Williams because I've been talking about it for so long. Yes. So we hope someone watches over you to this next song. Good example of one that's not very obvious with the religious stuff. True. One that I guess, I mean, I'm going to mention a couple here because... I don't know. I mean, sure. there's not a, I don't have a lot about them, but I can just kind of rant, run through them. Okay. 
Uh, one song that I found that I thought was religious, but isn't really religious at all, it's just that its title is a reference to a Bible verse, is Machine and their song, But For the Grace of God Go I. And for those of you that don't know your Bibles, Biblies, um, <laughs> that comes from the verse 1 Corinthians 15.10. And I don't think we've ever talked about them on this show because they're not super famous, but Machine was sort of an American funk and disco group formed by Jay Stovall in 1977, started in New York City, like a lot of funk and soul groups, mm. uh, with the intent to create uh, the disco equivalent of R&B message songs which are obviously songs that contain social messages. Now, therein lies my confusion, because here I thought it was a religious song, but it's actually a song about two Latino immigrants who move with uh, their young daughter to the Bronx to shield her from the horrors of life in Latin America, I suppose, only to find that as she grows up, she becomes a, I guess we shall say sinful person, maybe that's a tie-in, I don't know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> she becomes whom, a prostitute. Thank you. Whom other parents try to protect their kids from. So, so it's like they the come to the realization line. that in trying to protect her from this, you know, this evil world, you know, they just ended up exposing her to another evil world and they she became the thing that she was trying to protect her from. That's an interesting concept. Sort of. Yeah, right? So I thought that was a really interesting kind of, I guess, parable. Hmm. Um, not really religious, but still good. Kind of ties in with like what you were saying, how they want to create like meshed songs. Yeah, exactly. It kind of ties into that a bit. Exactly. And, um, and you could probably derive something out of that of like, because... Um, I mean, obviously not all religious people are like this, but a, like a fair amount, something you see a lot in religious families is like uh, people being like kids being sheltered because their oh, parents yeah. don't want them to be exposed to the, the sinful stuff. But so you, I guess you could kind of derive that same idea from this song. Yeah. I've always kind of held the belief with religious families is like the more religiously oppressive you are of your children and in sheltering them, or using fear to scare the shit out of them and their kids. Like, you're gonna go to hell if you chew gum in class and that kind of shit. I firmly believe that all that really does is just end up, for, you know, forcing those kids to rebel against that sort of strict religious dogma. Hmm. So they end up either becoming non-religious or just doing a complete 180 and, you know, falling into the lifestyle that their parents are basically forcefully trying to protect them from you know honestly i've seen that go both ways um i know people who were brought up in christian families and they completely abandoned it and now are like completely it's the opposite of that mm-hmm. and then i know people who were brought up in that and now they're just as like religious as their parents were to them growing up so like it can work both I've, ways yeah i would assume a lot of that depends on the relationship with the parents if the parents are religious but not uh, absolutely yeah not using the religion as an authoritative tool or authoritarian tool, I should say. Yeah. Um, then yeah, they're probably going to be religious too. But if their parents are religious, but also just bad parents, then, you know, religion, they're using religion to hide that. So yeah, the kid ends up flipping and rebelling against him. 
Mm. And I guess that's kind of what happens in this song. True that. In a way. Shall we listen to a little clip really quick? Sure. So that was Before the Grace of God Go I by Machine. Um, yeah. A noteworthy song that I just wanted to touch on, even though we already talked about it in a previous episode, uh, is Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. Uh, we talked about that right. back in episode 92. With uh, I think that was Guard- when, Guardians just, of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just funny because it's a religious song that very obviously mentions Jesus. I think there's a line that says, like, I've got a friend in Jesus. And it's, I guess, funny and people have commented that, like, a song talking about Jesus written by a guy who very obviously has a Jewish last name. Oh, yeah, I uh, forgot about that. Oh, yeah, and, and then didn't he say, like, don't read too much into it? I just yeah. want to make a song about that. Yeah, he basically was just like, I was trying to make a song about spirit spirituality, and right. a lot of people are Christians, so I figured it would hook well. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. It's a very dope song, though. Very, a very garage rock kind of sounding, very crunchy. You should have so, called yeah. it Jesus in my garage. <laughs> There's a song by a very not religious band <laughs> called Ministry. Okay. And they're, they're like the epitome of like what you would basically call industrial rock. Mm-hmm. Late 80s, kind of same scene as like Nine Inch Nails and stuff. Uh, they have a song called Jesus Built My Hot Rod, which is pretty funny. <laughs> You have a couple more written down, but I think we should just skip back and forth, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I can come back to them if I find time. What do we got up next, Mr. Pedro? What kind of impression do you get from... Okay, stop talking songs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I guess I'll talk about that song next. One that I wrote down, and actually, when, I, when, we, when we were compiling this list, I actually asked you, Kyle, if this was too straight up gospel to actually include in this list because we're obviously we're trying to cover religious songs that aren't technically you know gospel music mm-hmm. but you seem to feel that it was far away enough from that that we could talk about it um if nothing else it's a really good soul song it's one of, actually one of my favorite soul songs me too but yeah it does have a very again it's i guess it's another case of if you're not really paying attention to the lyrics it won't hit you but if you're listening to it, you're like, okay, this is this could very easily become like a straight up gospel song. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the Impressions, uh, they were a pretty popular um, soul group. I think, I guess it was like the early '70s, maybe. I could. I'm usually really bad with time. Um, they were actually like mid to late '60s. Maybe late was, '60s. Yeah, I'm just starting to think. This was before uh, what's his face's solo career. Curtis Mayfield. Yeah, Curtis Mayfield. Um, actually, yeah, I guess by the time he was doing Superfly and that that kind of stuff was early seventies. So yeah, I guess they were kind of mid to late sixties, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but Curtis Mayfield, the famous funk singer, came out of this band originally. Uh, I wrote a few. It's a very slow moving song, um, and I and like I was saying before, I think it could fit really well with like a religious chorus type group if somebody wanted to do that i'm sure many people have already done this um but i'll read a few of the lyrics um one section says quote people get ready there's a train to jordan picking up passengers coast to coast faith is the key open the doors and board them there's hope for all among those love the most and then i actually have another uh block 
uh, of lyrics to read, but uh, just really quick. Uh, fun fact for you Bob Marley fans, uh, you might re- recognize this next line because he actually borrowed it for his song, One Love. And so that actually, if you ever wondered why the actual full title of that song is One Love slash People Get Ready, it's because he took this line from People Get Ready. Uh, and the line goes, quote, There ain't no room for the hopeless sinner who would hurt all mankind just to save his own. Have pity on those whose chances grow thinner, for there's no hiding place against the kingdom's throne. So basically, um, this whole song is about hop on the train that'll go to heaven. Um, or Jesus is gonna find you. Or, yeah, actually, and, and basically this line's saying, um, have, <laughs> I, have pity on the sinners because they're going to hell, basically. I just, I imagine Jesus, like, playing hide-and-seek with people while singing, ready or not, here I come, <laughs> I'm gonna find you and make you love me. Oh my god. <laughs> This, this is incredibly accurate as to Jesus' motives. He finds people and he makes them love him. <laughs> oh, there's, a really, there's a really funny picture that I see again and again, again, and again on the internet. Picture mm-hmm. of Jesus, like obviously the very white Catholic Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the title is, You Better Love Me Because If You Don't Love Me I'm Going to Send You to Hell for Not Loving Me. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> Who sings that song, by the way? Ready or not, here I come, the Delphonics. Oh, right, yeah. I just haven't heard, thought of that one in a while. Yeah, that's a good yeah. song, too. I don't, I, it. I don't think that has to do with Jesus, but it could be. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. In, it could totally be interpreted as that, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. All, all of our stalker songs could also be interpreted as Jesus' songs. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate stalker. Is the ultimate hide-and-seek master. <laughs> I'm going to hell. <laughs> He's like he's like um, the receptionist from Monsters Inc. Always watching. <laughs> That's one parallel I've never heard. What if she was actually Jesus? That would be really awesome. <laughs> well, while you listeners think about that strange idea, um, let's listen to a short clip of "People Get Ready" by The Impressions. All you need is People get ready. The trains are coming. We hope you got a good impression from that song. Um, which is kind of what you already said at the beginning, but yeah. coming full circle with it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I mean, like that's definitely one that is basically a gospel song, but it's at the same time not. So, well, I think. Okay, I might be totally off base here. Okay. But did we not mention this song before when we were talking about songs during the Civil Rights Movement? Because this song was a big one that kind of became a rallying anthem for said Civil Rights Movement. Am I wrong there? Maybe. It was It was a long time since we've done that episode. I know. So I'm totally like, I know we talked about this before. Oh yeah, are we talking about protest songs or are we talking about... Civil rights songs. There was a little bit of overlap, but I think civil rights was like the third episode we ever did or something. Oh, wow. So obviously it's been a long time. I don't remember yeah. if we talked about the song in that episode, but I could kind of see that. I know it's, it, it kind of was. It just sounds but... really, it just seems really familiar to me. I don't know. I'm having like deja, an impression of deja vu. Yeah. So yeah, the last song, I guess, that we have on our list here, other than some of the honorable mentions that i mentioned earlier yeah we don't have a whole we don't have a very long list for this one i think no you were telling me before we started recording that it's really hard to find 
stuff that kind of fits into this. It was hard to find ones where it wasn't just someone's personal interpretation that, hey, this is about Jesus or whatever. Or the other end of the spectrum where it is really obvious. Yeah, exactly. It's always like, if it's obvious, it's a gospel song. If it's not obvious, it's, you know, some loose interpretation and the band never actually said it was about that. (laughs) Yeah. So the last one that we found in our extensive 20-minute search is... We did more than that. Okay, okay. Like, 30 minutes. Uh, Okay, I did 30 minutes. (laughs) Is the song uh, Love to the World by LTD. We don't mention LTD enough on this show, and I love them. Have we ever talked about them at all on this show? We probably mentioned them once. We probably mentioned them once because of that song, Every Time I Turn Around, Back in Love Again. Oh, damn, I forgot about that song. That's a really good song. Right? I'm going to listen to that when we're done with this show. (laughs) I was going to say, I have that album on vinyl. That was one of the first albums I actually ever bought on vinyl. Interesting. It was like a dollar. And I like that song. Um, But the song we're talking about today is not that song. It's (laughs) Love to the World by LTD. (laughs) Um, For those of you that don't know, they're a funk and soul band from L.A., and this particular song comes from their 76 album called Love to the World. So it's the title song. Um, Because that's how that works. That is how it works. Um, I yeah, I found it interesting they were from LA because you don't get a whole lot of bands from that area. Not really. And I feel like once we were actually thinking about doing an episode about that, but like we couldn't find enough. Also, it's not yeah. that interesting. But <laughs> well, I mean, Motown moved to LA, but then by that time it kind of was like a shell of its former self. Yeah, that so. doesn't really count. But yeah, good point. There really aren't that many. I don't know. I guess maybe LA wasn't like you know the hotbed of. Soul music funky jams. Ever. I mean, it probably was for disco, you know, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel like New York City was the hotbed of disco. Yeah, that's true. Good point. I don't know. Hmm. LA never made shit. <laughs> Stupid LA. Oh, fun fact about LA that I just... Uh, knew, yeah, wow. Fun fact about LA, because I can talk, um, <laughs> that I just found out is... The reason LA skyline is so stupid and there's so few tall buildings and all of the buildings that are tall are flat mm. is because until two years ago, there was a city planning ordinance that said any building over, I want to say like 60 stories or something I'm estimating, mm. tall, had to be built with a helipad on top in case of an evacuation. But That's they realized weird. that in the entire time that they were that they've been building buildings of that height with helipads. Only one time was a helipad ever actually successfully used in the event of, say, a fire. (laughs) And often because, you know, helipads are expensive, helicopters are expensive, and, you know, during fires when there's lots of hot air rising out of a building... Yeah, I wouldn't think it'd go hard... (laughs) It's kind of hard for A, people to go up, and B, for helicopters to land anywhere near the building because they're kind of temperamental <laughs> as far as, like, staying af- aloft. Yeah. And they just now, like, two years ago, I want to say, um, I guess, redacted that ordinance so now they can build skyscrapers with pointy tops like every other city in freaking America. I've never knew that. I never really noticed that either as a thing. Yeah, I didn't notice it until, you know, in the article that I read this showed a picture of the LA skyline and it literally looks like all the buildings have their tops chopped off. That's really weird. 
it looks like a cut-down forest. And that's also why there's so few tall buildings, is because installing helipads is very cost-prohibitive. So they're like, uh. screw that, I'm not going to build my building over 60 stories, because I have to build a helipad. So they build it like 59 stories? Something like that. But yeah, that's actually part of the reason LA has like such a stupid, shitty skyline. <laughs> Aside from this, all the smog and everything. Yeah, that too. That's funny. So I never knew um, that about... Um, it was something I was going to say. Oh yeah, another thing about like the logic of putting a helipad on the top for fires mm-hmm. that I feel is flawed is like, what if you have all these people go up to the top to take the helicopter away from the burning building, but like they keep having to wait a long time or the helicopter can't end up coming. Like you're mm-hmm. at like the literally like the worst part of the building. You're at the very top. Yeah, exactly. Burning. Like that's not exactly. good logic at all. <laughs> you know, I thought I thought the same thing, and I, I I think it's hilarious that you know the city government took thirty years or whatever to figure that out. <laughs> They're like, oh wait, these are completely useless. No. So yeah, fun aside. Uh, back to the song. Although one would think that this song, "Love to the World," is actually one of the most famous song, one of their LTD's more famous songs. Um, we really couldn't find shit on this. Yeah, I personally thought. Because, like, this is one of the few songs by them that I actually know. I thought this was one of the more famous songs, but apparently it's kind of not. I don't apparently know. Not. I don't know a whole lot of stuff by them, but whatever. Like I said, the only two songs I know, aside from this one, is Every Time I Turn Around and uh, Holding On. Mm. But aside from that, nothing. I think Love Ballad is another one I know. but like. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Aside right. from, like, those three and this one, I don't really know anything else by them. True. But I guess to us, and more so to Peter, because he actually did the research on this and I'm just stealing his thunder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of thunder, um, they actually use that at the beginning of the song. Nice tie-in. So, yeah. we, we thought that the lyrics, uh, I guess personally, were referencing the crucifixion of Jesus. But the overall vibe was that we as people should all love each other. And it uses the religion thing as a theme for kind of coming together <laughs> basically like in real life yeah um, I, I felt that well actually can i read like the lyrics from the beginning of the song really yes. quick? so the beginning of the song they say quote uh this road we're on shows a dark destiny i feel the end of humanity father father i know you're there i lift my voice up to you hear my prayer for love to the world uh and i felt like it obviously that's not like verbatim the same as uh, when in the Bible, when Jesus is being crucified, he says something like, "Why have you forsaken yeah, me?" Yeah, I, 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 it's something really close to this. It's not quite the same thing, um, but I felt that like there were and like, like I was saying, like there's there's thunder going on, and like when he's shouting like "Father, Father," it's like almost like shouting in the mm-hmm. song. So I feel like there's a really close connection to that. And I have another quote actually. Basically, just quote: "God send us love to the world. Hear my prayer." for loves of the world it's, it's very kind of like the entire song is basically like a prayer like let's you know, l- let us all you know kind of come closer together as people mm-hmm. and come together the thing the thing what you were saying about like like in real life i think it kind of ties in i guess a lot of religious people use that as kind of like a connecting thing of like okay let's all work together to make the world a better place that's kind of like their their mo yeah exactly like well, I, I I certainly wouldn't consider this a gospel song and not even necessarily a religious song. I feel it, the the theme was kind of 
overt there. I can see it. They should totally have played this song during Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> I totally almost bought the soundtrack to that, by the way. <laughs> On vinyl? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think that's actually all the songs we have about that we didn't know were about Jesus. Let that's me tell you about Jesus. Tell us about Jesus, Kyle. Actually, well, don't tell us about Jesus yet. I want to play a clip from Love to the World really quick. Because okay. we didn't. <laughs> we hope you gave love to the world to that last song. <laughs> Wiser. Took me a second. Uh, it's an old <laughs> reference. I seriously, when were those commercials out? Speaking of which, did you see any of the Super Bowl commercials? No, I I'm like I'm not anti Super Bowl commercials, but I but I, but I, I am <laughs> I am at the same time. Okay, only reason I say that is there was only two that even I mean I didn't watch most of the Super Bowl anyways. There was only two that even stuck uh, stuck with me. One was one of those Snickers commercials where you know they always have like some person and then they say like you know. You're not you when you're hungry, and they give them a Snickers bar, and they turn back into their normal self. Yeah. Well, this one took um, a episode of the Brady Bunch. I don't know if you remember this episode or if you ever watched it, but there, there was the one where Marsha gets hit with a football. Oh yeah, I saw that one. And her nose gets big. But they superimposed Danny Trejo over her, what? <laughs> saying her lines, and then somehow through the magic of v, uh, VFX, like graft people's lips onto the original parents so that they could say like have a Snickers because you're not you when you're hungry and then Danny Trejo eats it and turns back into Marsha Brady but <laughs> the kicker funny. is that at the uh, the end of that commercial um, I forgot what the little boy's name is in the show Tommy whatever I don't know is played by Steve Buscemi <laughs> wait what <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Does know he turn into someone else at the end too, or is he just? No, he just is the little boy, and he's like complaining about something. But he's Steve Buscemi. What the heck? It is literally the greatest commercial I've ever seen. Okay, I'm gonna have to go watch that though. And then there was just another one for like insurance or something, where this woman goes to a pharmacy, but her pharmacist is replaced by Walter White, and it's actually Brian Granston playing Walter White. Oh, that's cool. Other than that, all of them sucked. There was actually one that was, oh my god, it was freaking depressing. It was a a life insurance commercial, and this little kid is like, I'm never going to go to prom. I'm never going to dr- learn to drive a car because I'm dead. Oh, and everyone damn. is just like, what the F? And it's like super dark and depressing. I'm just like, why? And then I guess it showed very insinuating scenes of like child deaths there's like a bathtub overflowing there's like a child that got like crushed by like a tv tipping over or some shit what the heck yeah it's like all these like dark scenarios about like children unexpectedly dying just to sell life insurance how effed is that yeah that kind of kills the mood of your like right parties that people have right for the super bowl everyone's like yay seahawks oh dead children Yay, Snickers! <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of warped, but... Did they have one of those? Because I feel like every year they have at least one of these like 
Ford truck commercials. It's all about like you and your blue collar. Jesus, drive your truck, America. <laughs> yeah, it's there was one where Jesus was driving a truck while wearing a cowboy hat and holding a nest full of baby eagles. And on the top of his truck is a gun rack that held another gun rack <laughs> that held his guns. And then in the bed of the truck was Brad Paisley. No, I'm kidding. But that would be an awesome commercial. I would um, I would watch that commercial. I wouldn't buy a Ford truck, but I would watch the commercial. <laughs> I'm sure they did, but I didn't see it because, like I said, I didn't watch most of the game. I did, hmm. however, end up coming in for the end. And literally the last play of the game, the two teams got in like a full-out fist fight. It was awesome. It was like hockey. <laughs> okay. Not, no, nothing about football, but okay, so one team basically has a higher score than the other, but the other team is at the end zone, so if they make this one play, they could score, thus beating the other team in like the very at like the uh, very last second of the game. Okay. But rather than run the ball into the end zone like you would do if you're really close, because that makes sense, right? Right. They decide to throw the ball. The ball gets intercepted by the other team, basically ensuring that this team now is going to lose because they effed up. Uh. Literally, even the announcers straight up said, that is the dumbest play I have ever seen in the history of football. <laughs> and the coach at the end of the game was just like completely like, I think he literally lost his mind. Wow. And it so everybody just started fighting each other. Yeah, I don't know. I forgot what caused it, but like, the very last play of the game, the other team, just to wait, you know, to run the clock out, was just going to take a knee or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know, I forgot what caused it, but all of a sudden, like, the all the the guys, like, start clashing at each other and just start punching each other. And, like, one guy gets punched right in the face. That's awesome. It was awesome. Probably someone made some snarky comment. Like, huh, yeah. you lost the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. And it was, then it's probably something like that. Fighting and It was just funny. I think all sports need more fighting. Yeah, all sports need more car crashes that too oh there was a nascar commercial with uh, ron swanson that that was america i was that gonna was say that's like more, much more american than that that was more america than any ford truck commercial hmm. even the one with jesus and his gun racks yeah <laughs> that's funny you can like us on facebook at facebook.com slash get your funk or you can hear all the latest funk of james um that's completely not descriptive at all but <laughs> neither are we as always, yeah, we post songs on there. Uh, we post the episodes as soon as they come out, stuff like that, fun stuff. You heard short clips of the songs in the show today, but we encourage you to go check out the songs in full. And if you want to obtain them somehow, we encourage you to do so legally and support the artists. That's that's our legal small print for the show. I, I was going to say that's our legalese. Although it wasn't that small print, but no. whatever. This has been your host, Peter. And this has been your prophet Kyle. <laughs> Saint Kyle. I want to like light candles with Saint Kyle on them. With my face on them? Yeah. That'd be kind of terrifying. Goodbye. Bye. For more original podcasts, videos, and pop culture news, visit Overmantle.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>